0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. My name is Matthew Wright, and I'm his son. I presented the following lesson at our house church. If you'd like to know more about us, check out our website at wrightfarmhousechurch.com. We hope you tune in again next week for another lesson, and we hope you have a blessed week. Go right into what we just learned about a little bit. (laughs) Um, So, in in First John uh, chapter four, verse nineteen, he says, "John says we love because he first loved us. Um, Love is 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 the essential attribute. It's the essential motivation." of a Christian there are there are other motivations that can that can move us as well that we could be motivated at times by by fear or desire but the long term the healthy um, the proper motivation for all that we do in service to God and in service to others is to have is to have a heart of, of love. Um, we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. We love our neighbor as ourself. Um, Jesus says that these two commandments hang all the law and, and the prophets. On these two commandments hang all the all the law and the prophets. And love is what identifies us as Christian. And John says that we must that we love because we have we have been loved. We must cultivate a heart that is full of of love for God and a love for our neighbor. You got like you guys cultivate your gardens, right? We we have to cultivate our, our biblical love in our hearts. So as we get started today, I like to dispel a couple of um, of misconceptions about about biblical love. Um, the first mis- misconception is that is that many Christians seem to believe that love is just an absence of hatred, um, an opposite maybe, that as long as we don't hate most people, um, that we're pretty loving. But if the bar if the bar is, is, is set only at that, well, I, I don't hate random strangers, well, that's a pretty low bar. Um, or even if you raise it a little bit and say, I don't hate people who are nice to me, who love me, who do the things that I like? That's still a pretty low bar. Um, it's much lower than where Jesus sets the bar—to love our neighbor as ourselves, or to love our enemies. Um, so let's pursue the idea that maybe even, even though we are we believe we are loving people, we may have a lot of growth to do in this area. And the second misconception is that somewhere, somewhere along the way, we became convinced. Um, that some, some, someone became convinced and then began to convince other people that talking about love and focusing on love is somehow weak preaching, um, that, that love is soft and, and sappy stuff, and that we're, if we're going to have preaching, it needs to be hard and firm, um, and that we just need to talk about all the isms, like de- denominationalisms and premillennialisms and institutionalism and racism. And doctrinal teaching can be very, very good, but, it cannot, but sometimes it just doesn't affect the heart at all. We can listen to a lesson about it, um, and, and we can all agree, and we can all say amen, and then we go home unchanged. But this is not so with love. Love is the most challenging topic because no one gets a pass. Uh, no one is unaffected. Love means the challenge of, of getting to live with people who disappoint us and upset us um, and hurt us. Learning how to get over our anger and our pain, that's love. Love is, is not, it's about not giving up uh, on people when we want to. It's Love is, is about the challenge of suffering with people and sacrificing for people and giving up our rights for people. Uh, love is about is about people who don't deserve love like us. Love is about overlooking slights, and love is about being patient. Love is about figuring out when something is a big deal and when something is not a big deal. Um, love is the most challenging command because it does not just involve our bodies or our minds. It involves our heart. It involves every part of us. And after saying that, if someone believes the topic of love is still weak, I just, I don't think they're listening if you hear all that. Love is what supplies the fuel for our relationships um, with other people. Um, I'm not loving to a person because God is threatening me Um, The text in 1 John, as we read, says we love just in general because he loved us first. So let's flesh out that idea. So we're going to spend our time in Luke chapter 7 today, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, This story in in Luke 7 is, is just after Luke's account, as we just learned of the Sermon on the Mount, or as some call it, the Sermon on the Plain, in Luke 6. We're right here in the middle of Jesus' ministry. So John the Baptist, he's in prison. He is um, sent to Jesus, asking, "Are you are you really the Messiah, or should we be look, or should we be seeking somebody else? Should we be looking somewhere else?" And after John, after answering John's question, Jesus takes this issue of John to the crowd, and he begins to talk to the crowd about John the Baptist. John had come preaching before Jesus, and he had John had been the hot topic um, of his day religiously. So starting in verse 28 of Luke chapter 7, it says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So that contrast between the common people and the Pharisees is really powerful. The common people had gone out and heard John and had accepted his message, but the Pharisees and the lawyers, they asked all all these questions about him, but they never made a decision. It says they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. They rejected God by rejecting John. These same, these same people, these same Pharisees, they will later on ask Jesus, uh, was John's baptism from heaven or from men, if you recall that story. And, and they'll say, we don't know. They say that because if, if, if they say he was from God... Then he would say, "Well, why didn't you obey him?" And if they say it's from man, then then everybody will get just get mad at them. They think so. They rejected God. Um, so keep that in mind in the back of your mind as we as we go through these passages. So so in verse thirty one of chapter seven, this is Jesus speaking. He says, "To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace." And calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did no dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. He says they rejected John because he doesn't eat or drink he must have a demon. John's out there in the desert. He's a wild man. That can't be right. We're we're not going to do that, they say. Then, Then here comes Jesus. He's not in the desert. He's in the city. He's not fasting. He's eating and drinking with everybody. And they say, he's a glutton and a wino. And Jesus says, nobody can please you. You don't eat and drink, and that's not good enough, and you do eat and drink, and we eat and drink too much. But but humorously, I find it humorous that right after the Pharisees complain about Jesus eating and drinking too much, one of the Pharisees invites him over for dinner. So in verse 36, we'll pick up in verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So part of understanding this story is about customs in ancient times in Palestine. The Jews did not sit in a chair. They sat on couches and reclined. They would rest on their left elbow and put their legs behind them and reach with their right hand to eat. So a woman enters the room in verse 37. It says this woman was a sinner. So, uh, as we saw, as we heard in this video, some people take that to mean that she was a prostitute, and that is a pretty common interpretation of of this story. We don't know that, but we do know the host knew she was a sinner. Whether that was from her clothing or from her reputation, um, there was there was some way that this was clear because it, he says it he says it about her. So this woman comes as Jesus is reclining with his feet behind him, and she begins to weep. In verse 38, it says standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. So you can just imagine what a scene that this would cause, right? Here is this prominent rabbi, and all these Pharisees sitting around him. It's dinner time and in walks. Uh, This woman, and maybe you can ignore the woman for a little while. She's a sinner. (laughs) What's she doing here? But um, as she stands over Jesus' feet, she begins to break down and cry. So that the tears fall on his feet. And she sees this. um, So she lets her hair down and, and says, I can't leave tears on Jesus' feet. And she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And then she begins to anoint his feet with this ointment. And just imagine, as you look around this table, the conversation just stops. Everyone just starts to to look at the woman. Uh, The funniest part, I think, of this story is is in a few verses where Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? As if anybody had not noticed the woman bawling and anointing Jesus' feet. (laughs) This woman, is. she's made a scene, and she is clearly overcome with emotion. She doesn't just come and, and decide to start crying. She doesn't just start, oh, I'm just going to start crying so, so that she can have some water to wipe his feet, to wash his feet. She's upset. It would be hard to believe that this is the first time that they've encountered one another. Something about Jesus produces this, inner, this reaction in her. So in verse 39, it says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. We learn a little bit about Simon here. Simon the Pharisee, Michael. First of all, we learn that Simon is examining Jesus. Simon's purpose for inviting Jesus was to see if this guy was a potential Messiah or not. It seems like this event changes Simon's mind. There's no way this man can be the Messiah. If he were a prophet, he would, have, he would have known. Simon's mind works works this way. God's people don't touch sinners. And if he were a prophet, he would have known she was a sinner and would never dream of letting her touch him. That's the way Simon's mind works. So in verse 40, Jesus says, I have something to say to you, Simon. He gently asks, for, for this opportunity to teach. And in verse 41, it says, he says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 uh, denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And, and that's a really simple story, isn't it? Big debt, small debt. The one that was forgiven, the big debt was more excited. Um, In fact, though, the word that he uses is, which one will love him more? The answer is the one forgiven the larger debt. Jesus applies the story in verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? There it is again. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So Jesus shows this contrast between Simon and the woman. Simon has, has shown Jesus no love at all. Uh, no water, no kiss, no anything. He didn't even give him the common courtesies of a host, of, of, of most of his guests. And, and yet this woman this woman has shown tremendous love to Jesus. Uh, not just giving water for his head, but she's watching, washing his feet with, with her tears. Um, not just giving him some small thing, she's giving him the best that she has. And he says, the problem, Simon, um, is that you're the guy with the small debt and she is the guy with the big debt. The problem is a love problem, but the love problem is related to how much you've been forgiven. And verse 47 says, therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many are forgiven for she loved much, but he who is forgiven loves much little loves little. And it sounds almost as if Jesus is saying, because she loves so much, she's forgiven. But the last phrase really helps. If you look at it, he who is forgiven little loves little. Simon feels there is little to forgive. So he has little need for Jesus. So he has little love for Jesus. He says to her in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. And in verse 49, that causes a real ruckus. Who is this who even forgives sins, right? Jesus has already been in trouble once before for saying, uh, your sins are forgiven to the paralytic who they lowered through the roof. Um, And this is, again, a controversy for for the Pharisees. But he wants to reassure this woman when he says this, um, that what you've done, I see it, I know it. I know it's because... You have been forgiven. So what do we make of that story? How does that help us in our pursuit of love? It's clear that Jesus is talking about love, right? He says it over and over again. Which one will love him more? He who forgives little, loves little. Um, You get a sense of love all, all through this story here. But what happens is that We get the story backwards. We begin to think that what Jesus is teaching is this woman was so awful and so sinful that when she was forgiven, she had this tremendous amount of love. But this other guy who didn't really do anything that bad, when he was forgiven, he had a little love because he was only forgiven a little bit. When we translate this into modern thinking, we say that those people who were the younger brother in the prodigal son story that leaves home and really sows his wild oats with prodigal living, that he's just a terrible person, and these kinds of people are the ones, these are the ones that that are going to come back someday and really have tremendous love. The problem with that is what about those of us Who are raising our children in the Lord. Raising them to lead a farm or a house church. Teaching them to do the right thing. What if if they never go off to the far country, right? Does that mean that they're just doomed to be unenthusiastic Christians? But that's not what the story is teaching. It's the opposite, in fact, of what it's teaching. What this story is teaching is that Simon didn't have the kind of love that he should have had because he really felt he wasn't forgiven very much. Jesus told another story where a Pharisee um, gets up and prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, even like this tax collector. And the tax collector prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee's interest level in his own sin is low. So here's the point. Our love originates in our perception of our sin and our perception of our forgiveness. Perception is the key to this story. When Jesus is talking about 500 denarii versus 50 denarii, he's not saying that she had sinned 500 times and the Pharisee had only sinned 50 times. He is talking about their perception of their sin. All sin is the same before God, and it carries the same penalty, the wages of sin is death. death. This is about Simon the Pharisee's heart he is He's just not moved by consideration of his sins. He believes that his sin is minor, and that it's nothing like what this this woman has done. He is not concerned with forgiveness. The woman not only acknowledges her sin but she is overcome by her need for Jesus and his forgiveness. Our love originates in our perception and understanding of our sin and then in how much we know we've been forgiven. So this lesson is not a lesson encouraging guilt. It it is a lesson meant to encourage us to continually seek a better understanding of what Jesus did for us on the cross. When we start to feel like we are getting it all together spiritually, um, we can fall into a simple trap of feeling like we are forgiven less than others who we see have more, what whatever you want to call it, visible sins, right? But according to Jesus' story, we can then be in danger of loving less if we don't fully understand that we need forgiveness just as much as those we feel like we're better than or something. So let's, let's pray um, that we, we have the same understanding of the forgiveness of our sins that the sinful woman had so that we can love much. All right, I'm going to end with a prayer. Father, um, I thank you for these seemingly simple stories. Um, that you have provided us in your in your word that we can go to, that we can read. But I'm thankful that we, we can study them and learn um, the incredible depth that Jesus gives us in these stories so that we can better understand your love and how we can have a godly love that increases more and more every day. Amen.